I'm Chud X. And I'm Lanny. And this is The World As It Is Today. Hey guys, Lanny here. Just wanted to apologize. Chud and I recorded the intro to this episode with some weird effect on our microphone. I can't fix it in post, but I thought it was a good intro, so I'm going to leave it as is. So bear with us. It's a little echoey, but then the rest of the episode should sound much better. We have a guest today. Enjoy. Hey, we're back with another episode of the World As It Is Today podcast. Happy to be here and announce we've got a guest this episode. Yeah, an incredible guest. I uh, It was such a pleasure to get to meet this person. They're a homesteader. Mm-hmm. They are a, they're awake yeah. <laughs> in general. Uh, they're also a lawyer, yep. which is baffling to me that they have time to do all the things they do and and have a you know a demanding career. Yes. Yeah. And this person is Tammy, of course. Tammy Jacks. Um, Tammy, you might know from the Deborah Gets Red Pilled Telegram chat. Um, she's also been to all of my um, workshops that I've done online. So you may have been in a Zoom call with her if you've attended one of those. Um, she's recently started her own podcast called the dirty hands podcast, which you can find on any podcatcher by time this comes out, she's going to have at least three episodes, maybe even four. Um, and the first two that I've listened to is what's out now were excellent, but I know that they're just getting started. They're going to be having guests and, and they're, it's, it's her and a friend that they know in real life. They know each other in real life. And, um, I'm really excited for her because I think it's, it's a podcasting for me is really fun. The topics they're talking about is really fun. It sounds like she's going to be marketable towards a wider audience than we are mm-hmm. because she's got, um, it's really focused in on the homesteading aspect, food preservation, being more self-sustainable uh, and, um, you know, maybe a little prepping in there, but not, not the fear prepping. I don't think she's going to dive into those aspects of it. Sure. Um, just the functional parts, which has been really enjoyable. It's like a break from the conspiracy stuff for me to throw on, um, podcasts like that. And, uh, I don't know. Tammy's really cool. I like her even more than I did before, which I thought would, would be hard to do, but I do. Mm-hmm. And we talked longer than expected, too. It was late where she was, and she's, again, busy. You didn't mention that she's a yoga instructor. Oh, yeah, yoga instructor. The <laughs> list goes on. I'm, I'm yeah. absolutely amazed yeah. at all the things that she does. A doula, a mom, a grandma, a wife. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing. Extremely amazing. She's also already signed up for my bone broth workshop. So if you want to hang out with me and Tammy, you can come to that. That's October 16th. That's a Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And that'll be live on Zoom. That again, just like the other workshops, you'll get this two-hour workshop online with me. You'll get access to the Telegram group chat. That's just for Greener Postures workshop attendees. And you'll get the booklet that I wrote for this one. And it's a big one this time, bigger than my other booklets. And it includes... Not only the broth recipes for, uh, you know, beef, chicken, fish, and vegetable broth, but it also includes like 10 recipes for soups and chilies and stews that I use. That you can use that broth for. Yeah, that's the foundation of all these other recipes that I make in our home. And all of this is going to be not just a recipe on how to make broth, but like basically like a formula, a timeline so that you can do it really easily in your kitchen and make it part of your process and not be this like hassle from scratch 
thing that you have to dedicate your time to, but more of just something that organically starts to happen in your kitchen. Once you understand the process, you can really work it into a routine and have it become just a normal part of your kitchen activities, which it is for us. That's what this is all about. And that's what it is, being a, being able to do these cool things that you learn, learning the skills, but also being able to do them in a way where it's not, it's not stressful and it's not making more work for you. It's making your life better. Mm-hmm. So... Um, any other business? Yeah. Check out our Teespring store. That link is in the description of, uh, of this episode and all episodes. You can also find it on the merch tab in, on the greenerpostures.com website and, um, reach out to us. If you have a suggestion on a topic that you'd like to hear us talk about, that'd be, um, greenerpostures at pm.me. You can also find that on the website or DM either one of us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? I think that's good. I think uh, we should get get into this because this is an awesome interview. I yeah. really enjoyed getting to know Tammy. Enjoy the talk and all of her contact information will be in the description of this episode as well. And check out her podcast. Check out the Dirty Hands podcast. Yep. Thanks, guys. Well, hey, today we have a special guest, Tammy of the Dirty Hands podcast dirtyhands.com or on any podcatcher, right? Um, just two episodes in, but people might've heard you on, uh, you're missing the point with Drew Misson, who was also, yes. we, we've been on that show as well. We were the first episode. I think, I think I was the second episode or the third episode. So just after you guys. Yeah. Right. That was yeah. a great talk you guys had. Drew, he, Drew's great. Yeah. He's, he's easy to talk to. He's doing stuff with Moral Bob now too, with their uh, their movie reviews, which uh, I haven't checked right. out, but it's, I, I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah. Oh no, Drew totally nerds out on the movie reviews. Oh my gosh, he he does a deep dive into like every aspect, like down to the names of characters. It's yeah. it's something to marvel. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's on my list of stuff to listen to. Um, those look like they're gonna be good because I've seen all the movies too, which is always good. Yeah, I think they just finished up doing a Jim Carrey trilogy or something like that. Like, oh, cool. That's yeah, so great. Yeah, check it out. Um, I think they so, did Liar Liar, The Mask, Tr- and then 23. Yeah. And Truman Show. Oh, yeah, they did Truman Show. Oh, yeah, Truman Show. Yeah, I forgot about Truman that one. Yeah. Show. That one is like a blaring obvious. Like, yeah, that one's you, you almost don't. Maybe they skip that because you don't even need to break it down. It's just, <laughs> it's like, it, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, it's, a, it's a documentary. Obviously, what is happening. We, yeah, right. <laughs> we are in the. Joining the ranks so. of documentaries like The Matrix and Idiocracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Tammy, oh, oh, Ready yeah, Player ahead. One. Have you, oh, geez. Have you seen oh. Ready Player One? We, we did. Yeah, yeah. we watched I mean, that. Living in the Stacks. <laughs> that was yeah, disturbing. The FEMA trailer stacks while everybody just, <laughs> just goes into this other world. It's a way, I mean, like, I believe in predictive programming to a large degree. And I think that that, that gave me a visualization of what I could see the metaverse really being like the 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 matrix that people like, are going to willingly walk into it's uh it's pretty wild it's crazy and uh I, I don't remember what the what the the mastermind behind their metaverse was in that in that universe but like you know definitely i can see that as jeff zuckerberg like in 20 years mm-hmm. so yeah yeah <laughs> crazy totally um yeah well so for for those who don't know, I know Tammy because of 
the Deborah Gets Red Pilled podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So you joined there and I got on Telegram and you're very active on the Telegram page and um, you're a big supporter of that show. And I think that Adam says your last name wrong every time. Am I right? Did he say? Oh, it, I, it's Jax. It's Jax. It's, I think he says Jax. Jax. <laughs> Which I wanted to get all, as long as you don't call me jackass. It's <laughs> not jackass. Then, then you go. Then we're then you're fine. Okay. Yeah. But Adam's kind of a stickler for pronouncing things correctly. So I totally wanted to make fun of him for that. So he pronounced it wrong. It's Jax. And I think it's cute because your uh Instagram handle is Applejack's Farm. So you've got a little homestead going there with a lot of creatures, rabbits, uh goats, uh, chickens. Ducks, ducks, chickens. Uh, I think uh, dogs and cats and snakes. We have snakes, but you know we're not we're not homesteading the snakes. Um, <laughs> they, it's just funny because <laughs> well, we we have we have some captive snakes that that have come to us through various. They they're all rescues. We have rescue oh, snakes. Oh, okay, that, gotcha, that gotcha. <laughs> That we've picked up, um, you know, as my kids grew up and now they've moved away and we're still caring for these animals that live like 30 or 40 years in captivity. (laughs) Wow. They'll probably all live us. And you're in Florida. So you have snakes around you too, as well. Oh, we do. We, we have our, a fair amount of, of snakes and all kinds of crazy critters here in Florida. Man. Yeah, I went to my cousin's wedding in Fort Lauderdale um, like four years ago, and I was so like blown away that there were just lizards running around everywhere. I was like, ah, look at that. And everyone's like, yeah, it's like it's a lizard. It's I guess it would be like us seeing squirrels. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just they're just all over the place, even in the city, squirrels and pigeons. Right. But there's just these lizards and even like the big uh, jub like the iguanas. The, and and uh, yeah, nobody oh, yeah. was as excited. The, the iguanas. The, the iguanas, they'll just, when it gets cold, they'll literally just drop out of the trees oh, whoa. <laughs> and they fall to the ground like, like a, like a frozen, a frozen stick. Um, especially down there in South, you know, we don't get freezes here very often. Um, are, are they dead when they drop the down iguanas, or is that just they like, they're going into no, like a they're, hibernation they're, kind of thing? It's like a hibernation. So yeah. but they, they become very stiff and they literally fall out of the trees. And, you just um, kind of push them know, off to the side. Up, if it's then... on a sidewalk, you just move them over and then <laughs> wait till springtime <laughs> and they come like, back. Exactly. Like uh. a drunk, like a drunk. Just you know, <laughs> sweep them off the sidewalk, oh, sober that's, up. <laughs> that's so cool. We'll see you on the flip side. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so it sounds like you've been in one place for some time then. If you've got, if you, you raised kids here and they've grown and moved, uh, is this all in one property? So we have been on the same property for a little over 20 years now. And I had actually forgotten about it until we recorded. Um, my son actually has a homestead now in Northwest Arkansas. So uh, the last podcast that we recorded, um, we interviewed him about his homestead. And he remembered like so many more details about things, things that I had just forgotten. Um, and, and so we've been on the same property for 20 years uh, we used to, uh, we used to live like right in town. I mean, the town where we live, it's a pretty small town. I wouldn't consider it a city, but we lived literally a block and a half off of the main street. And, you know, I, we just felt like it wasn't 
the place where we wanted to raise our kids. I mean, literally people would like wander down from the bars and fall asleep in our yard or do other things in our yard. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and we just didn't think that it was like the best place to raise the kids. Um, at that time, our kids were, uh, from sixth grade down to kindergarten. And so we found a property, we sold our house downtown. Um, we had like a historic home that we had bought and, and restored. We sold that and we bought a double wide trailer out on five acres, um, about 25 minutes away from town so that we could have horses and cows and, um, chickens and, and all of those things and, and raise our kids in a way that we weren't raised and give them those opportunities. And that's how, how we got the name Applejack's farm. And I had forgotten about this until my son mentioned it when we were recording the podcast. Um, when we first got goats, all of our goats names were, they were named after like different kinds of apples. (laughs) So we had Macintosh, uh, we had, uh, I don't even remember all the goats names, but, um, but they were all named after apples. And when we went, ran out of apple names, then we started, uh, using citrus names. (laughs) So we had Clementine and, um, a bunch of orange names, but that's where Applejack's farm came from. Do you have any kumquats? It's just a plate on (laughs) We didn't have any, have any goats named kumquat. (laughs) (laughs) Just save that one for later. That's, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. So now our... Now all of our goats are named after Star Wars characters. Um, what once the kids all graduated from high school and moved out, um, you know, we thought we were footloose and fancy free. Um, we were had had an empty nest, and so we sold all of the horses, we sold the cows, we sold all of the goats. Um, I think we just lost chickens due to attrition, so that we could travel and do things. And then uh, when the when the lockdown started happening, we're like, hmm. <laughs> So we started with the chickens and that was our gateway back into the, all the homesteading stuff uh, right there in the beginning of 2020. And now we have a, you know, full throttle barn all over again. (laughs) Um, So, and do you use, do you use the goats for milk? Yeah. So, so the goats are dairy goats. Um, we did have, we started with Nigerian dwarves. we had had Nubians when we had the homestead in the past. Um, and the Nubians, you know, they, they give a lot of milk, um, but they're also bigger and they, they take a lot more feed. So when we started homesteading again, um, we thought we would get, my son raises Nigerian dwarves and, um, his are very docile. They're quiet. So we're like, oh, we'll get Nigerian dwarves and uh, maybe they'll eat less. So we'll be able to, you know, not have to have as, you know, have as much feed on hand for them. And oh my goodness, like our Nigerian dwarf herd was like a schoolroom full of children in need of Ritalin. They were <laughs> crazy. They were loud. They were constantly breaking fences. And um, so I ended up selling the whole Nigerian dwarf herd and going back to the Nubians. The Nubians are bigger goats. They're a lot more gentle. Their milk has a lot more butter fat content. So some people like Adam doesn't think it tastes good, <laughs> but I think it's just because um, the high butter fat, it, it does have a different a different flavor, but um, I think their their milk is a very mild flavor. So, so we have the goats for dairy. We don't eat the goats. Um, we just have make, them for dairy and breeding purposes. Do you so. make cheese? 
I do. I make, I make cheese. I haven't made any hard cheeses yet. So mostly like, you know, you know, chev the, the softer cheese, uh, every Sunday I make yogurt, um, with the goat's milk and, um, we, we've tried our hand at making soap in the past, uh, not very successfully, but I, um, I'm going to start doing that again right now. I only have one goat and milk. So once all of, you know, once I get the other doughs back in milk, then I'm going to start making, you know, trying to make soap, give it a, a, a better effort this time around. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that'll come together. I've learned a lot since, since we homesteaded the first time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's always important. Like those things that I tried and wasn't very good at. And then years go by and I gain all this other information that doesn't seem related, but then it makes it make so much more sense that, you know, that I can pull it off the next time I try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have YouTube now. I mean, I don't think that YouTube <laughs> was as big a thing. Um, so like I learned how to do everything on YouTube from replacing the touchscreen on my phone to, uh, you know, making mayonnaise from greener postures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, you know that's a, a an observation I made a lot three years ago when we first started. Well, when we first started getting really serious about homesteading and we moved more more importantly, when we moved back to, to my family's homestead property and I had a lot of work in front of me and it felt impossible. And I would think about that. This feels impossible yet. My great grandfather was here and there was nothing but trees and think about how impossible it must've felt for him. But then I would think, yeah, but you know, he had a father and seven brothers and sisters who were all in the area and they all had grown up taking down trees, farming, building homes and sheds and digging wells. You know, they were used to all the things that I could see us needing to do. Um, And they had this great network of people that were family, plus other families around everyone that around at that time was useful for knowledge as to how to homestead, essentially, because that was what life was at that time. And I think, man, it's it's a real bummer that I don't have that. But then I would realize what you just said, and it was that, um, oh, but you know what? I have a tool that none of them could ever have imagined, and that was YouTube. That was the internet. Yeah. All of I have all of the information ever, <laughs> you know, as they tell us anyway, uh, right here at the at my fingertips, you know, and if if they needed to build a fence and they didn't know how to build a fence, seven people around them knew how to, but I didn't, I didn't know anyone who knows how to build a fence, but I have like a thousand channels of YouTube that all are people building fences. So it's, it's an amazing tool. It, it cha- it's a game changer to be sure. Well, I think that uh, what goes along with that though, is we also have so many more distractions that they didn't have. And so I feel like they were also able to be more productive because their attention wasn't divided. I mean, I don't know of any of us, you know, that don't have multiple jobs, Um, multiple things that we're doing to occupy our time, whether it's spending time, you know, doing your social media, making sure that your presence is known out there, putting together your workshops. You know, I'm off teaching yoga, practicing law um, and trying to run a homestead. And then you're trying to stay abreast of everything that's going on out in the world that impacts you. Whereas, you know, your, you know, your heritage, your, your legacy, that family, 
they were concentrating on what was going on in, in the immediate world around them. And they probably weren't as concerned about what's happening in China or what's happening in the Ukraine. Yes. Or and they didn't need to get home on time with the world economic five day forum. fiance or whatever is <laughs> right. on TV. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. What is it? Did you, what's your guilty pleasure? 90 day, 90 day fiance. Oh, that was that Adam. That was Adam. someone. That's Adam. Yes. Is it 90 days? I was like, I've never, he, I, I said, I've never heard of that. And he's like, well, I guess I'm a piece of shit. Cause that's what I love. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, we're really surprised. No, we don't have that. We don't watch that kind of crap. The kind of, we like, we watch crap, but it's not too guilty. No, it's we, like, we just love our old horror movies yeah, and stuff and like that. And then stupid comedies. Yeah. yeah. And real, the stupider, the better. My guilty, if I had a guilty pleasure, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it at all. It's, I love Beavis and Butthead. I'm watching new <laughs> Beavis and Butthead every week right now, and I can't wait for another one every single week. <laughs> it's really week. funny. It is really funny. Yeah. Timeless. Oh, Mike my Judge. gosh. So you've seen the you've seen the new movie then? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I haven't I haven't seen it yet. It's funny. I was just listening to um, False Reality Check, and they were talking to Charlie Robinson, and he was talking about Beavis and Butthead being like that. That's that's his inner inner monologue that goes on is in the voice of either Beavis or I, Butthead. I so knew I related to Charlie. Related. That's <laughs> awesome because I was just listening to that episode today too, but I didn't finish it, so I didn't get to that part. <laughs> It's the real goal. My guilty pleasure, my guilty pleasure are, are the shows like Naked and Afraid or Alone, where they're having to survive out in the wilderness, or cooking shows like Chopped or Hell's Kitchen. Those, those yeah. are those are my those are the only two show the only two kinds of shows that my husband and I can agree to watch together. <laughs> yeah. you, you know when we we did watch uh, Kitchen Nightmares together and enjoy that. That's like the only reality type show we've ever really got into. And a little hoarders. Oh, hoarders. Back in the day, yeah. we watched some hoarders. Hoarders and kitchen nightmares. Those are our two reality. Oh. We both have hoarders in our family. Yeah. So, so we, it was like, it felt like, oh, you know, like we can try to figure out how to help our family by watching this a little bit. But no, it's aside from that show, really just being a soul crushing depression. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. It's also soul crushing depression to, to try to help people in real life when they don't want help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, I, I'm af I'm afraid my life is becoming that. My husband retired in March, and um, he has a resale business. So he like buys storage lockers or goes to like estate sales, and he'll he'll just buy you know he'll buy like a whole storage locker just like you see on those those like uh, storage wars TV shows, mm -hmm. and then bring it home and go through it, and and then resell all you know anything that's worth uh, money on on eBay, but. Oh my gosh. I told him like, I have to die first because I don't want to be left having to clean up and sell all of this stuff that you've accumulated. I mean, we have literally a 3000 foot enclosed barn. That's absolutely full top to bottom with, you know, stuff that he's accumulated over the junk, years. For junk. His, his business. <laughs> junk. But you, it, it well, you know, you know, there's junk. There's such a big difference though between a junk hoarder as what what I'm picturing you described there and uh and the garbage hoarding, which is what oh, you yeah. see on that TV show, where it's just people who they're just slobs. they just don't throw their living stuff, in their garbage away. Yeah, yeah, they're just disgusting people. And that's why that's such soul-crushing depression to watch that show. Yeah. There's the occasional one that are actually kind of interesting. They have like, you know, eclectic kind of collections or record people who collect records or something that you can relate to. If that's the what the show was most of the time, then I might have found it to be interesting more. But instead it was like 90% of it was just 
just people who Sadness. are yeah, they're, really they're, they're so messed up that yeah it's it's it was too much for me yeah i'm a yeah. chicken hoarder i like i uh-huh. i can't i can't resist a new chicken um so like my latest i ordered some uh eggs i guess they're cucumrans uh, uh-huh. that I ordered off of eBay. They have like the burgundy color egg and I'm like, oh, I don't have any chickens that lay a burgundy color egg yet. I need to get some of those chickens. <laughs> <laughs> so so we have the Easter eggers. We have uh, Delaware that lay brown eggs. I've got some silkies that lay white eggs. And now I have cucumbers that hopefully will start laying burgundy color eggs. That's awesome. Um, I have more eggs than I know what to do with. But yeah, how, so how I guess if, if I hoard anything... Have? Um, I haven't counted uh, the chickens. They're always in a state of flux because, um, you know, we just processed half of our meat birds. So we, we, we processed until the mosquitoes got too bad that they were carrying us away. Um, so I think we processed 12 and we had 10 left of the meat birds to process. They have to go this week. Um, I've just got to find a night that I can do them maybe tomorrow night. Um, and then laying hens, you know, you, when, when people know that you have a homestead, you become the person, oh, like I found this duck, you know, can, can you take this duck at your house or, or we're moving, we have three hens. We don't want them to go to a family that won't take care of them. Can they come live at your house? So, um, you know, it's the, it's the Jack's home for a wayward fowl. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We've had, we've had like neighbors that get a couple chickens for their kids. And the kids lose interest after six months. And then they're just like, do you guys mind if we just kind of let these things go on your property? And it's like, oh yeah, of course. If they come into the coop, they're welcome. If, yeah. you know, and if they go off into the woods and get eaten by a coyote, that's, <laughs> that's, that's fine too. <laughs> you know, there's probably upwards of 40 to 45 chickens on our property right now. Cool. That's so, more than we got. Five ducks. Oh, yeah. 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 Five ducks. The ducks are, the ducks are interesting. Um, they don't serve any real purpose except we laugh at them a lot. Um, <laughs> they do lay eggs, but right now, right now they're, we don't know where their, their clutch of eggs is. They, they like to lay their eggs around the pond and um, it's, we've had, rain like every day for about the last two months so our pond is out of its banks it's flooded i try not to go out there if i don't have to <laughs> so, wow. hey, um, you guys have been real wet down there this year huh what are than usual it, uh, yes my my garden is underwater i had just yeah. right before it started all this rain i mean we're we're planting a food forest i had just planted seven pineapples that i had rooted um, they all, I think there's two left in the ground. The rest of them have floated away somewhere. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, the ground is super saturated, um, which doesn't make for really good, um, gardening right now. Um, whenever it rains like this, the tomatoes split and there's not much that I can, can do to save the the tomato crop. So we really got no tomatoes at all this year, but I've got plenty of other stuff that I've been harvesting that's that's done okay um but it hasn't been a stellar gardening year uh, yeah yeah Yeah, it's been the opposite here we usually have rain and it's been dry for i don't know four weeks since we've had a drop oh it's more than four weeks yeah 
It's more like eight weeks. And that's kind of, and, like and that's with a, with a little, with a little shower here or there, but little showers, like, like not, not even wetting the ground, not, not enough to f- accumulate my rain gauge kind yeah. of stuff. And, uh, geo yeah. engineering. Yeah, oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on at every, I mean, do you see that in the skies there too? Lots of spring. Not like, not like I see out there for you guys. I mean, we are, you know, at, at my house, we're right in a, 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 a flight path for a commercial um, airport. And so I think a lot of what, what I see in particular is actually contrails. Um, so I don't see the kind of patterns that, that I see like out in your area or like where. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. We live, we, we live really close to a very like small international airport and um uh, you know, like, what would you say? It's like three, three miles if you went straight mm-hmm, there. Yeah. Um, and we have, we're, there seems to be a, a flow to their traffic. We're on the side, but we have planes landing right over top of us all the time. Um, and yeah, there are the, the planes that are coming in to land are the ones yeah, like commercial jets, across. you know, like we see Alaska airlines and, um, uh, Southwest airlines mm-hmm. and you know, these planes are real close. We can like read the side of them cause they're, cause they're down so low cause they're getting ready to land. And those never have any kind of trail of any sort, like the, the, the normal, the stuff that I could picture myself boarding at an airport. I never see a trail from, but then we have these ones that are just way, 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 way up there to where it just, you can't make, you couldn't, if it was a commercial air, airline, you wouldn't be able to read. Yeah, it. it's tiny, and it's a different type of plane, really. When I look through the binoculars, yeah, it seems to be they're they're they've got to be huge. Yeah, and they're laying the trails that then spread out and turn into clouds or push clouds away, mm-hmm. and sometimes in a grid. And you know, it's like it's crazy. But I, I see some pictures from like uh, Texas and Arizona that I'm like, whoa! It's like they're playing tic tac toe in the sky. It's like such an obvious grid. It's it's crazy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That was, I, I just, I haven't seen it here, but definitely a believer. I, I question, I, my question for you is how did you like, so you, you're kind of conventional, right? You, you, did you start your family when you were in college? You have your first kids while you were. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I found myself, uh, 19 and I was, I was, either like between like sophomore and junior year in college and and I was and I found myself pregnant <laughs> so um I finished college I gra- when I graduated my oldest son was a year old um I think I graduated on his birthday and I was pregnant with my second son wow. so, um, so yeah you, I started my family when I was you at very that young. time trying to uh, to go to be an attorney or was there something else in mind mm-hmm. No, at that time I was, I was, my plan was to get my degree and then I wanted to, um, go back. I was just trying to finish my degree since I had kids and things like that. So I kind of took an easy major, but my plan was to go back to school and get all my prerequisites for medical school. Mm. And, um, so I was doing that actually, uh, at, when I was pregnant with my youngest daughter, I went back to school post back. And I was taking like 
my organic chemistries and analytic chemistries and all of those things that I needed to take the MCATs, the medical school admission tests. And then my brother-in-law, I'm a very competitive person. So my brother-in-law was taking the LSATs to get into law school and the test was coming up. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to take the LSAT because I'm going to get a better score than him. And that was, that was my only goal was to get a better score than my brother-in-law. And so I took it and I did really, really well on the LSATs, um, like 96th percentile. And I was like, wait, you know, I can either like, it's going to take me another year and a half to get my prereqs for medical school. And then, and I, you know, I, at this point in time, um, I'm married. I have, uh, three children, or two children from a previous marriage. My husband had three children and then we had one together. So we have six children. Um, I'm in school. He's working full-time. I'm working part-time managing our apartment complex. And I'm like, I'm, I can do another year and a half of this. I can go to medical school then for four years. And then the minimum time in a residency program or an internship is going to be at least three years. Like we're going to be poor for the next 10 years if I take this track or I can go to law school, be done in three years and have a career that I can support this family. So I I took the easy way out and went to law school. (laughs) So you're saying a lawyer is a lazy man's doctor. (laughs) Absolutely. A lot less math, a lot less science. (laughs) I, I do support that statement. That's an absolute truth. <laughs> so that's amazing. Lawyers, lawyers usually end up in, in, as lawyers because they can't do math. <laughs> oh. So, so um, did you say, tell me at one point you were um, training or uh, to be a doula? Yes. So when, um, when I was, when my first son was born, um, I was poor. I was 19. Um, so I didn't have, I didn't have, I don't think I had insurance at all. And so I found a midwife that I could pay, kind of pay as you go. Um, and that was like my gateway into, you know, natural birth and all things hippie and holistic. (laughs) Um, as I met this midwife and she was just such an inspiration to me. It, you know, I grew up in in a home, and it you know it was a it was a good home, you know, very traditional home, but you know it was very conventional. And I didn't, I had never met, I never even heard of anyone like using a midwife. I thought that was something like from Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I met this midwife. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I met like a whole bunch of vegans in my childbirth classes and things like that. So my eyes were just open to like a whole different way of living. And so after my first son was born, um, I wanted to become a childbirth educator because I had such a good experience with the childbirth educator um, that taught our childbirth education classes through um, the the birthing center where my son was born. So by the time I was pregnant with my second son, I was a certified um, childbirth educator. And I was actually teaching childbirth education when I was pregnant with my second son. And then he was born in the middle of in the, the middle of one of my classes, not during class, but like week four of a six week childbirth education oh, yeah. okay. course. And so yeah. I was able to have him in my class and use him as my model. Um, <laughs> like this is how he is in the birth canal, you know? Um, <laughs> And then, 
And then after that, um, so all of my children were born natural childbirth. The first two were with the midwife at a birthing center. Um, my daughter, my insurance changed literally four weeks before she was born. She was born actually two weeks before she was born. She was born January 13th and my insurance changed. Um, and by this time, you know, I was working as a probation officer at that time. And, um, so my new insurance didn't cover the midwife. She had to be born in a hospital, but I was determined that it was going to be natural. The The medical doctor, you know, at the new practice that I had to go to because of my insurance, um, they were they were like, oh, you have to sign all of these consents for us to be able to put this monitor on you or for us to be able to do this intervention. And I was like, you know, I'm like, but I don't want that. They're like, well, if you don't sign this, then we're not going to deliver your baby. We won't attend the birth. And so I was like, okay, I'll sign it. Um, but then I purposefully waited until the very last minute to, uh, to go to the the hospital so that I didn't have to have any of those interventions. Like I literally got there and she was born like within 20 minutes. So they didn't have time to, to put a fetal monitor on me. I'm like, I'll I'll show you. (laughs) Um, But just those different experiences really, you know, I wanted to be able to share with other new moms, particularly like there's a different way. There's a better way to do this. What I found um, and in in my training, so I did childbirth education, multiple different types of childbirth education. You know, I did hypnobabies, I did uh, Bradley Method, I did Lamaze, and then I also did all the training to become a birth doula. But I did training both with like the crunchy granola people, um, you know, that are like the midwife track. And then I also did training um, in the hospital, like for the hospital-based childbirth education. And there was just such a difference of philosophy. What I found was when I was taking the courses with the nurses um, and the people who were in the hospital system, it was more about delivering the baby. Like it has to be on a schedule and and like they were really outcome based, like trying to make sure that all of these hap- things happen, not for the convenience of the mother or for the baby, but for the convenience of the system the company uh, they're, they're, they're a business that's yeah. working here yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and, and and you know i mean obviously they're the people who are delivering babies in the hospital i mean they care about the mothers they care about the babies oh, yeah. um, but by the same token oh, yeah. they have it they definitely have a different drive because there's expectations put upon them um, yeah, they can, they can the love, they can love the mothers and the babies just as much in that environment. But if they're, if they're, if the only way they've ever looked at it is the way that other people in the, in the hospital setting, look at it, they see that as being, we're going to be nice to them while we keep them on schedule so that we can get the baby out on time. You know, it's not, it's not that these are cold hearted people. No, by no any I've means. never felt like that either. You're, you're right. Like it's, they're just doing what they think is correct. And most people in that hospital setting is, have never witnessed physiological birth, like the natural, right? Yeah. They don't know it can happen that way. And so I, I think and, and that's interesting. Just look at the language that we use. We say, we're going to deliver your baby as if, you know, like you're going to deliver a pizza. It's something that, that they are <laughs> going to do for you or to you. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I mean, the, the philosophy of the, the midwives, you know, the, the, 
not hospital-based midwives, but the home birth type midwives, their philosophy is, you know, we're waiting for the baby to be born and everything is on the timing of the baby as long as there's no emergent situation that's causing um, potential harm to the mother or the baby. Um, it's driven more by the baby rather than this, you know, contrived timeline um, that you're on in a hospital-based situation. So that just became something that was a passion for me. Um, and, you know, when you're pregnant, it seems like everybody always wants to tell you the horror story. Oh, well, when I was, you know, 36 weeks pregnant, you know, they, they did this to me and this, you know, nobody ever tells you like the happy birth stories. So I was determined, you know, like all of my births, my, my births were easy. Um, they were easy. They were peaceful. I, I know when my first son was born, um, there was uh, a birth assistant there. She was training to be a registered nurse midwife. Um, and she just, she was from Aspen, Colorado originally. And she just started like doing not even guided meditation. She was literally, when I was having the, the strong contractions, she was just telling me, she was describing scenes for uh, for me. I'd never been to Colorado. And so she was just describing what the trees look like and what it looks like on a snowy day. Uh, and just, you know, taking me somewhere outside of my body where I could, uh, you know, manage the pain by, by concentrating on something else. So I've still never been to Aspen, Colorado, but I feel like I've been there from the visualizations that she was doing with me in birth. And, you know, it was just a really good memory that I have. Um, you know, I'm 20 years old at that point in time. I'm scared. I've never done this before. I don't know if I can do it. And she's just calmly talking me through uh, the situation. And so that's something that I wanted to be able to bring to other people. So I did all the training and, um, you know, I guided a whole bunch of people through, uh, you know, that childbirth education to help them know that their bodies were made to do this. They can confidently go into uh, this situation and, and come out with a healthy baby and a healthy body on the other side. And so did, did you attend was, any births? Um, I, so I never finished, I never actually finished my doula certification. Uh, I did that, uh, when I was, you know, a practicing lawyer. And so it really just, um, it was something that I wanted to do. And I thought I would be able to accommodate, uh, just with, you know, trial schedule and things like that. I couldn't reliably be able to, you know, spirit off on a moment's notice to go yeah. be with the birthing mom. But I have attended, I have attended several births, like with my daughters-in-laws and things like that. That's um, great. So I've attended births other than my own. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I've got to say, I've been, I'm, I'm really impressed by the amount of stuff that you do at any given time and all the, all the, all the things that it, it seems that you've done throughout your life. And we've barely touched on the fact that you, you've, First, you just kind of dropped it small because you were busy practicing law. Um, <laughs> how on earth do you, I, I feel that my life is completely packed when I work a crappy, like pointless job for a few hours a week. And then I spend all my time at my, at my homestead and I only have two kids. You've got multiple kids running around. You've got animals homesteading your on top of all of this, you're, you're, you know, doing a little of the doula stuff and all of that, <laughs> but yet you're practicing law all this way or, or being in law school, which yeah. is, it, it blows my mind. You are, are you a superhuman? That's my question. <laughs> I, I don't sleep. So that's part of it. Um, have you ever done, have you ever done any of like the, 
any enneagram tests or you know uh, what don't is it? Know what that word is. <laughs> so so oh, like personality enneagram, tests. I, yeah, so they're like personality tests. Um, so with the enneagram, I think there's I can't remember. I think it's ten or twelve. I can't remember how many different major personality types there are. Um, but I'm a type seven, which is an enthusiast. <laughs> so I get really excited about, about new things. And so I will jump feet first into whatever new passion that I have. And then like, once it becomes hard, then I, I'm the type of person I will lose steam. So, um, I like to start things and not, not finish them sometimes. So I do art. Um, oh, I, yeah, you did. We have, I, I mean, I do. We, you are, you're a yoga instructor currently as well. Oh, yeah, yoga. Throw that in there. I, I, yeah, I teach yoga. So, um, I you know, I just... Are you also wanna, a pilot? Uh, I'm just throwing this out there. I just feel like you're going to be like, yeah, never, I got my pilot's license. and I never have piloted a plane, but if someone was pregnant and needed to, to birth a baby on a plane, then I could probably help them do that. Um, yeah. You know, I just... Life is very short and I want to do all of the things and, and why not, why not try, try all of the things. Um, I just, uh, I was practicing. Um, so my, my law practice, um, for all 22 years that I've been a practicing attorney, it's either been in criminal prosecution or criminal defense. I do a little bit of family law, but but really my strong suit is the the criminal, the practice of criminal law. So when I was doing my yoga teacher training, I was prosecuting in uh, the homicide division at our state attorney's office. Um, so I was prosecuting all of the, the murder cases <laughs> that were happening in our county. And, and it, it was a call-out position. I mean, if somebody was killed in the county and I was on call, then I would have to hop my ass out of bed and, and go to that crime scene. And I would be you know on scene from basically beginning to end with law enforcement officers um, dealing with the medical examiner, all of that, and trying, you know, I'm trying death penalty cases. And then on the weekends, I'm doing yoga teacher training. And so, you know, we're talking about, you know, engaging our heart chakra. <laughs> so it was yeah. like this really weird dichotomy. But, you know, I find that most of the career paths that I've taken, most of the things that I have done in my life all have a central theme, and that's storytelling. So, you know, in my law practice, you know, I'm a trial attorney. So when I'm when I'm in front of the jury, I'm telling them a story. When I'm in front of my yoga class, I'm telling them a story. And usually everything has a theme, whether it's, you know, my opening statement through my closing argument or, you know, my my yoga classes. You know, I really try to put things together as a theme because I think if we if if we can relate the things that we are hearing and learning to something that we can all um, empathize with, then then we're gonna internalize it a lot more and take it and take it home. So really, I feel like all of the things that I've done in my life have had that central central theme of storytelling, which is one of the reasons why you know I wanted to do the podcast. And I'm inspired by people like you guys and and like Adam and like Legs and Buffalo. Um, you know, I, I want to tell the stories and, you know, that's, that was kind of the birth of Dirty Hands podcast. I always felt like 
my friend Sarah Rose and I, we would walk together during the pandemic when everything was shut down. And we would talk about having a podcast. But both of us, I think we always thought it would be like a murder podcast because that's what I've done most of my career is either prosecute or defend murders. And that would be uh, way more popular, but no, it too. Turns out, <laughs> Those, people but love it turns that. Out that. you know. The things that we like to talk about the most is like, oh my gosh, have you seen the new Baker Creek seed catalog? Um, (laughs) Look look at all these things that we're growing. And and so we just kind of gravitated toward, you know, talking more about those kind of things. You know, and when I'm posting pictures of my garden or of the chickens or whatever on social media, like, oh, you know, my friends are like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like, I wish I could do that. I'm like, well, why don't you? You know, what's stopping you from from planting a seed in your garden? And, and, and so like the birth of Dirty Hands podcast was, you know, what's stopping you go out there and get your hands dirty. And so, you know, we, we know lots of people who are doing cool things. So our podcast isn't just about homesteading and gardening. We're also talking to people who, you know, are doing survival workshops or who are making their own music or who are, you know, fishing as part of their sustenance but they're out there and they are taking a hobby and then they're they're using it to kind of separate themselves out of the matrix and do something on their own. Um, you know, we're going to be talking, I, we have more podcasts lined up than we can even record before the end of the year. Um, but we're going to be talking to people who are estheticians about uh, doing facials right out of your pantry, like using things that you have in your pantry. So if the supply chains go down and you can't get your cosmetics, you can do a facial right out of your pantry. Um, sardines, right? That's are, what you use for it's not, sar- exactly. it's not sardines. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of collagen in those bones. So <laughs> I guess maybe it doesn't smell good though. <laughs> but you know, we know lots of people who are doing cool shit. And so we just want to talk to them and, you know, find out how they got started and maybe inspire somebody else to, you yeah. know, to take that plunge. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's what it's all about right there. You know, like <clears throat> with everything that you're talking about, you take on a lot of stuff. And I think that that should be inspiring to everyone who listens to you and checks out the Dirty Hands podcast because it's it's uh, you wouldn't be doing any of the um, like you have a long list of amazing things that you've you're doing and that you've done throughout your life, and you wouldn't have done any of them if you didn't just get your hands dirty if you didn't just, just get started just start and do it because a lot of people um, a lot of people sit here and listen to podcasts all day and say, I ought to start one. I ought to do that. But they, it's just kind of always a thought. They think I, I don't like my job. I would like to go and do some other type of work, but they know, but they don't pull the trigger and actually do it. And that's, that's like the number one and maybe even the only real step in, in, in achieving what we want to achieve in the, in this life. And uh, so many people just kind of feel stuck because they, you know, they don't, they don't want to step outside of their comfort zone and do something new. Um, but you know, I, I don't know how many people I've talked to over the last like 10 years as we've been into the homesteading stuff that that say that they wish they could do it. And I I it, it's different when you're in a podcast role, but in the in real life, I don't know what to say to someone who's saying that to me because the the answer is you can't. If you can't and you're talking to me, you should be asking me, do you, can you have a little, little parcel, a little section, you know, a little yeah. five by five? Sure. You know, I'll let you do whatever you or want. Or can I come you know? hang out and start learning or yeah. Cause, or, you know, container garden in your, in your kitchen. There's, I mean. Sure. And, and cause I was going to say, but if I did offer that to most folks, they'd go, oh, well, you know, but here's the thing. I'm real busy right now. <laughs> 
six day bachelors on next week. And uh, I, I, I really can't miss the, miss my reality show or whatever, you know, like, um, and, and I, I think that's really cool that you've started a podcast. I love the title. I, I haven't listened to it yet, but I, I, I'm, I'm loving the concept and you seem that you would be such an inspiring person to listen to talk about doing stuff with people who are doing things because that's all it takes. Just do it. Well, and if, if, if anyone's listening, you don't get a backstory of Tim. You don't get this whole picture. Like we're, we're forming here. Right. It's, it's just a nice podcast. It sounds, it's like in a, um, it's going to uh, meet the needs of a wider audience than our, our podcast would like so. um, regular Christian homesteaders could listen to your, to dirty hands and be happy with it. Um, or we only get irregular Christian homesteaders. <laughs> the weirdos. But see, so that's part of what I'm curious about, Jamie is like, how did you, how are you awake? Like you've gone through years of expensive indoctrination in college and have many degrees and you're, you have a normal family and life and practice. Like, how did you, you're listening to Deborah gets red pilled and you know, our podcast and false reality check that means, and you're talking about chemtrails, you brought it up, not us. Like how, how do you, how do you get there? You know, I, I think that I think that my journey to uh, I don't want to call it wokeness. We used to we used to have that term. That used to be yeah. ours. Yeah, they took um, it. <laughs> Awaken. But oh, I, I mean, oh. it, it, eyes open. Our, the, my 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 awakened state began a long, long time ago. Um, in without jumping too far into uh, 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 the deep end. Um, I had some interesting encounters as a teenager and a young adult with uh, beings that may or may not be from this realm or, uh, you know, this current, you know, they, they might be in a parallel universe. Um, but through those encounters, maybe they were dreams, maybe they were real, I don't know. Um, but I saw some things, I was given some information and i i don't i don't want to sound like a complete weirdo <laughs> um that's okay you so sound like from, a complete weirdo from a very, <laughs> from a very uh from a, a relatively young age um i was just exposed to some some otherworldly things that yeah. um showed me a vision of kind of what the, our future looked like um and so that's always been kind of a, a driving force for me, even though I was, you know, maintaining all of this, you know, appearance of a conventional lifestyle. Uh, I still had these experiences in the back of my head and, and those experiences, they terminated um, very abruptly, probably when I was like 24 or 25 years old and really haven't, haven't recurred. Um, but that those experiences were were what opened my eyes to the fact that what we see in our daily lives isn't all that there is here. Um, you know, there are some type of supernatural forces um, that are out there. I didn't start like learning about like the Illuminati or anything like that until probably I was. I don't know, in my late 20s, early 30s. So, I mean, I, I, it wasn't until, you know, later in life that I put those things together with with my 
inadvertent experiences um, as a younger person. Um, and, you know, we didn't have podcasts then, you know, the things that I knew about in, in my mind were things that were fictionalized on TV shows like X-Files and things like that. Yeah. Uh, were you listening so to Art Bell or until, anything back in those days? Yeah, Coast to Coast at 8 A little bit. Yeah. Art, you were aware Art of Bell, it, but you weren't, Patrick, you weren't tuning in every night. So Art Bell, I learned of Art Bell once I finally got the nerve to vocalize to um, a coworker about the experiences that I was having. And he was like, oh, I know exactly what that is. You know, why don't you join me at this MUFON meeting? <laughs> um, and then through the MUFON meetings, I learned of Art Bell. Um, I learned of Zachariah Sitchin, you know, and I started reading about, you know, those, you know, Sitchin back in probably like the, I would say early nineties. Yeah early nine, late eighties, early nineties. Um, and then I kind of put like when I started having kids and, you know, trying to be a normal person, I kind of set that stuff aside and it wasn't until maybe probably like 10 years ago, sometime like around 2010, when podcasts started becoming a thing, you know, I started listening to the podcast again and then becoming reacquainted and also seeing those experiences that I had in a different light. Um, so that's kind of, you know, I feel like I always had, uh, you know, I always had a little bit different perspective on things than anyone else because of those, those situations, uh, that I had, uh, those experiences that I had which I don't think is the normal way that people come to this, you know, to this, uh, to the conspiracy theory world. Um, and I, you know, I honestly, I don't even know how I found Adam, you know, and Adam gets red pilled, but I started listening to him in 2020, like pretty early on. And, um, but I was also listening to there's a, so there's a Christian conspiracy theorist um, group and it's called, uh, it's a podcast. It's called Canary Cry Radio. And so they were looking because this was one of the things that I always struggle with because, you know, I was raised I was I was raised as a Baptist. Um, you know, we I wasn't allowed to cuss. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to drink. Um, you know, if you did any of those things, then, you know, that was a sin. So certainly, you know, having some kind of potential encounter with otherworldly beings was not something that was accepted in that community at all. And so, so when I started listening to Canary Cry Radio and they were putting like a biblical perspective on the experiences that I'd had, it started making me feel like, okay, like I'm not a completely crazy person. This is something that is actually, you know, maybe supported by, by scripture. And so I felt like I could actually explore those uh, experiences that I had without going to hell. (laughs) So I've had, you know, I've had quite um, a journey um, to get to where I am now. But, you know, the the handwriting has always been on the wall that we would be here, you know, looking at potential, you know, uh, digital passports, central bank currencies, um, you know, this whole, like, I I can remember back when I was like four and five years old and going to that, you know, very Southern Baptist, very fundamentalist church and watching movies about um, the rapture. And like, if you, you, you know, didn't refuse to take the mark of the beast, like literally on these movies that they were showing in our fundamentalist church, they would 
would execute these people who wouldn't take the mark on a guillotine. <laughs> and so that has been something that's been embedded in my brain since I was, you know, four and five years old. Um, and I got it from my church. <laughs> and so, um, you know, kind of seeing, seeing how things are progressing in our world, progressing right to that point where like either you take this vaccine or you don't participate in commerce or, or does if you I, uh, what's another word? This carrot, we'll call it a carrot. Um, you yeah. take this carrot or you can't participate in, in um, our economic system, or you have this digital passport or you can't participate in our economic system. So honestly, I feel like I have my whole life been um, preparing for this time at this place. Um, I feel like the skills that I've been gathering over time are preparing me for being able to be outside of the matrix should we need to be, um, you know, because I do have some, you know, Renaissance skills that I can share. You guys have lots of Renaissance skills that you can share. Good Lord, you know, Lanny's going to be able to, to keep us all fed, <laughs> you know, um, and in a grid down situation with, with all of her, her ferments and, and stored things. And, um, you know, I, I want to think that really without knowing it, that all this, you know, medical knowledge that I've gathered from, you know, the childbirth things to like herbal healing. Um, I've just been absorbing it so that now that it looks like we may need to employ some of those skills. Um, you know, now I'm ready. I've been prepared. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've been preparing I'm, this whole time. So I'm so thankful. We Don't have you a feel few, like that? Yeah. We have a few people in our local area who are awake as we're calling it. And they, and they have medical knowledge um that it's it always blows my mind when i'm talking to them just as as you're blowing my mind of that they made it all the way through med school and then practiced for years and they got all the way up to uh, uh i'm thinking of two people in particular and i think verify for me that they both have quit entirely you know who i'm talking of i know i know one that was a she was a gastroenterologist she was a GI specialist and she quit in 2020. And another one that helped me when I had my hornet sting. Um, yes. Sorry, yeah. G. Yeah. And then they're um, both done. But, but it blows my mind when I talk to them and you're blowing my mind too, of that they made it all the way through the, the, the academic channels and they went through all of this and they were still able to, like, I feel like 90 or even 99 or even 99.99% of people who go through the, the academic institutions come out brainwashed on the other side where they can't think for themselves. Even if they, even if they knew that the mark of the, of the beast was coming and that there would be reasons that we need to step outside of the matrix that by the time they would get to the other side, they're like, well, yeah, those are things that I'll keep in mind, but I've learned everything I need to from the, from the authorities that I needed to learn. And they kind of seem to, to, to they just go in that direction on everything else on, on all, you know, all like, like I even think of someone like, like Ron Paul, who I don't know if you're into to Ron Paul and all of the, uh, the uh, libertarian kind of stuff, but you know, he, he's really good on a lot of things, but I think when it comes to, and, and it, he was even fine on the shot, you know, like whatever, there's a carrot or whatever we're calling it. <laughs> um, but for the most part, like I wouldn't trust him as much if he was a, a local doctor, I wouldn't trust him as much as I trust these people who were able to, to turn their back on it entirely. Yeah. Um, and, um, 
it's just, uh, it's, um, I don't know, I don't know where I'm leading with this, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I really appreciate that you've been able to, to spend so much time in those institutions and keep your mind clear and keep moving forward with that and not, and not just go, okay, you know, this is the system and I have to, I have to play by its rules. So I'm going to just live in that set of rules. It's, it's the one foot in one foot out thing that we talk a lot about. It's, it's being able to live in the matrix and make your matrix dollars and participate in that while still being aware of what that is and that there's something else. And then also like training yourself, learning skills and, and doing the things you need to do to be able to exist outside of that. Mm-hmm. It does. It takes a special kind of person. But I mean, Lanny, don't you find that, that there, and, and you too, Chud, I mean, don't you find that there's some kind of innate knowledge? I mean, do you ever like shock yourself, like with something, you knew you know, that you were never taught and you're like, how did, how did I know how to do this? Or how, like for me, it's plants. Like I can literally be walking in the woods and I can look at a plant and, you know, and I, look at it and say, you know, I think that that plant might, you know, might have some medicinal properties. Um, and then like somewhere from no knowledge that I can put my finger on, like that I've read this in a book or I've studied this somewhere, be like, oh, I know what that is. You know, that's, that's sickle pod. <laughs> um, not having ever read what it is now, you know, there's a name associated with this plant and and then I actually like look up the plant and look, yep, sure enough, it's sickle pod and it has these medicinal qualities. And, you know, indigenous people have used it for years as a, you know, an edible food in this way. Do you find that you have knowledge like that? I don't know. Maybe it's in, you know, just like when you're processing a chicken, like, like there's an innate knowledge to it. You're like, oh, I, like I've, I've done this before. I've, I've been here before. I've, yeah. I've utilize the skill before, even though I haven't done it before. Do you feel like that ever? I think, I think that's in all of us. And it's a matter of if we listen to whether or not we know those things. Um, when I, I, I took my first job as a meat cutter, um, I had never, I'd never cut meat before in my life. I mean, I, I cooked meat and I, I, I was familiar with meat, but then they would just hand me whole primals and, tell me to start sectioning it out and I would just start doing it. And that it was the joke that I was a serial killer in a, in a past lifetime or something. Cause I, I just knew how to separate these Dexter. muscles and stuff. But I think a lot of people uh, in that same meat department or in meat, you know, whatever, whatever people are given a, a task like that, they go, well, no, I shouldn't cut into this because this is worth a lot of money and I don't want to ruin it. So I'll wait until someone shows me right. And I think, I think that Lanny is full of skills like that too. I think that, uh, that, that many of your, your canning abilities and things like that. Yeah. You, you glanced over the instructions before you, before you, uh, started doing it, but you, but really you're following your intuition. Yeah. And like sourdough bread's a good example. Cause I looked into it a little bit and I was like, kind of mad at it. Like the way I am when you read me the instructions on a board game before we get oh, yeah. started, you get real mad. You know, I want to learn as I go. I get real mad at that. So when I was doing sourdough, I was like, I'm just going to go for it. And it's like shaping a loaf was like, I'd done that a million times before I felt like right in my, like I understood what was supposed to be happening. And, um, I didn't learn that from YouTube. You know, that's, that's something that takes a lot of practice and, and right away my loaves were coming out really nice. And so now that I've been doing it a year, they're even better, but it's all comes from that 
yeah, that like inherent knowledge of just like understanding what's supposed to happen. And what do you think, Tammy? Is that something psychic download from somewhere else? Or is that just like in our DNA and our genetics? That's history. That's other humans having lived these experiences. We're supposed to carry those things on. You know what I mean? You're inherited. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it does come from, from somewhere like, like that it is in our, our DNA. Um, you know, I never, I never knew my grandfather, um, because he, he passed away before I was born, but it, you know, like my, my aunts and, uh, my dad and my grandmother would always say like, you know, how much I was like him, you know, like in, you know, work ethic and things like that, even though like I never met him. So I feel like you, you do pick up things like that are, um, kind of passed down to you. Uh, I didn't get the sourdough gene. <laughs> like that, that wasn't one of the things that was passed down to me at all. That's a struggle for me. And I, I really wish that I could, could learn to, I mean, like I watch the YouTube videos, you know, and I practice and I just can't make a loaf of sourdough or anything. Like, you know, I can make anything out of discard, but you know, the sourdough loaves escape me. So that's something that you got innately and I'm jealous of. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for me, it's, it's really, it's like, it's like the land and plants. Um, I don't have, you know, I don't have any training in that. Um, but it's just something that like, I have an inherent knowledge about that. I don't know where it comes from. And I have, I feel like it has to have been, you know, just something that was in my DNA, maybe somewhere down the line, um, you know, someone in my family that, you know, was an herbalist or practiced herbal medicine, because it's just something that I, I, it's not just a curiosity that I have. It's just something that I feel like very naturally drawn to. Um, I just find it's something that I find interesting. Um, and I think Chad is absolutely right. You know, there, there's people who, who don't listen. So I think that everyone probably has like innate skills like that. Um, they're just not taking that time to be quiet. And that's one of the things, the, the things that the practice of yoga is really important to me is because that's the only time that my brain is actually quiet <laughs> um, when I'm really listening. And um, so anyhow, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure that yeah. we all are born, you know, with some kind of, of skill that we can contribute and in either like the the chatter of the world, like all of the the things that we're our focus is being drawn away from. You know, I think sometimes in part that that's intentional, like the, you have to work this 40 hour or 50 hour or 60 hour work week. You have to be, you know, involved in all of these activities your kids have to be involved in all of these activities and so that they can kind of keep us to where we're not listening and, you know, mm -hmm. we're not, not finding those innate skills that we have. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of like school for little kids is takes this little person. That's just like, you've been around little kids. They pick up stuff like nothing. Like there's, I, I, I speak to my, almost two-year-old in a regular voice and say, ask him to do something. And he goes and does it. And it's like, I'm sure I've never see, said these words in that order to him. And he understands like, he's just, he's just so smart. And there's such a spark right from the moment that they're born. And the whole system is, seems like it's made to dull that down from the, from the childbirth and the medications and that, that environment. 
and the, sh- the stuff that comes after and to you putting them into daycare or preschool. And if not by then, then definitely by kindergarten, when they go to school and they're just told to be quiet, listen, follow directions, stay in line and repeat these things that you're told. No, you're getting the answer wrong because you're using your own thoughts. You you need to stop and say it exactly the way we tell you to. I'm going to have to mark that math problem wrong because you didn't show your work. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well, it, and so I am, I'm an artistic person. And so with my, my nephews and my grandkids, you know, I can't tell you how many times like we're, we're coloring or we're doing an art project and, you know, maybe one of the, one of the moms is like, Oh, you know, like, you know, you are don't do it that way because it's going, you know, you're going to mess it up. And I'm like, mess it up. Like, this is their art. Like, let them, let them express it. However, however they want, if they want, you know, a, a purple flamingo, then let them call it a purple flamingo. Um, you know, we, I think we try to put things in a box and, and I think you're right. Yeah. you got to do this right. you got to sit in the chair. You, you, you have to be quiet. Yeah. You have to stand in line yeah. and, and uh, you're the, the kids aren't getting to express like their inner thoughts. Um, you know, I, I think that there's people who have that innate gift of music. And if they're taught, like you have to hold this rest for this many beats and the, you know, then they're not getting a chance to, you know, express the the music that's inside of them. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think everything is art, you know, your garden is art, your sourdough is art. Um, you know, the things that, you know, you're building, you know, it's all art and yes, there are some conventions that we have to maintain. I mean, you can't build a building without making sure that, you know, your footers are (laughs) adequate to, to form a foundation, but, you know, there needs to be some kind of self-expression there too. And I'm all about like, you know, letting people, letting people, the little people explore that. Uh, so it's a funny, funny story. Um, so I have these invisible pens and they're, uh, they're black light, uh, they're black light pens. They have a little, um, a little, the clicker turns on, activates a black light. And so you can write with this invisible ink and you can't see it until you turn the black light on and your pen has a black light. So I use them for one of my uh, Bloga sessions for everyone to write their intentions on a bookmark in this invisible ink. So I took some to my grandkids when um, we went to visit them last week. And uh, so I took them into the bathroom, which was the only room that we could get dark to show them, you know, how they can write with their invisible ink and how they can look at it. And so I left them to like draw their pictures and, and write, write their, their, uh, you know, their secret messages. So my granddaughter comes out and, um, and she's like, you know, look, Lolly, come, come look at my message. So I go in and she activates her black light and it said, the red coats are coming. Grab your muskets. <laughs> Where did this come from? Yes. That was her secret message. Six years oh old. The red coats are coming. Grab your muskets. <laughs> so I guess they're learning about, about the revolution or something. <laughs> that or she's but. had the repressed past life memories, maybe. Nah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe right on. You never know. Oh, so so I I have I have a suggestion for uh the world as it is today suggestion box. Are oh, you ready? I would love that. Yeah, we just made one just now for you. <laughs> Slip it in. So so instead of the two-year-old and the eight-year-old, you your kids need cool uh code names just like chuds. 
okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have had a cool name too. I really regret not having the cool name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not too late. It's not too late. You can adopt a cool name for yourself. Somebody said Lactobacillus Lanny. <laughs> Lactobacillus oh Lanny was because I'm obsessed with fermentation. I think that's too much of a mouthful, but I liked it. Yeah, we'll have to figure out an acronym, you know, that's suitable for that. But yeah, the, oh, kid, the kids need some kind of cool code name. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking hard on that. That's a really good idea. I like um, Sam Tripley does that with his kids. I, I forget what they are. Ninja, Ninja and, and Ghost. And Ghost, ghost. or something like yeah. that. That's, oh, that's not their real. Way. I swear to God. I thought that was their real name. <laughs> I thought that he named his, his twins Ninja. Actually, you know, he might have. He maybe might those have. are the real names. I've never, <laughs> I've just always assumed. I felt like the mom wouldn't have gone along with that. That's just, yeah. you never know. Hmm. You know? Well, any which way, whether those are their real names or <laughs> yeah, not, right. we'll come up with better code names than Ninja and Ghost. Yeah, yeah. And acronym. Well, you've got the cool husband, uncle, and dad, Chud, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And maybe maybe we can think of something for the little well, guy. Which, you know, Tammy, I, I don't mention this on, on air often, but Chud has been my nickname since I was like 15. It was my it was my nickname when I was 15. Until I was for the band name. See, she knows she, oh, follows, okay. yeah, she yeah. follows the stuff pretty close. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's really funny. <laughs> I spent all this time like for, for, for like 10 years, like occasionally someone would hear my real name and they'd walk up to me and they'd say it to me. Like they knew something secret about me and I'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. Whatever. And then <laughs> I kind of switched over and I quit using it for a number of years. And then occasionally people would hear Chud <laughs> and they would, and they would like walk up to me and they'd be like, how's it going? chud and i'd be like yeah what's up he'd be like Is that really your nickname you know and be like, yeah 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 you can call you can call me either they're interchangeable as far as i'm well, concerned adam says uh your name all the time yep. <laughs> so that's probably not a secret. he does yeah it's not too secretive he does yeah and then i noticed on the last uh fading the beauty uh bob's real name was dropped a, a couple of times. I heard that too, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, he was drinking, he was drinking and by the end of that episode, he was like, he was a little, he was a little lit and then he let his name slip and he didn't even notice and I was like, mm, that's what it is. Well, I can't speak for anyone else. I don't care what people think my name is on and in the podcast world it's it's really it's for um you know like our, our business that we have and certain members of my family and stuff if you google my full real name i'd rather not have deborah gets red pilled or the or the world as it is as it is today come <laughs> yeah. up it's not so much that i don't want people listening to this to be able yep. to google my name and find out more about me yeah. as, as, as I really am. normies who buy our eggs, buy them through our homestead name, which mm -hmm. is the family name of the homestead. But we made greener posture so we could feel so like we had some freedom from that to speak freely outside of the eyes of judgmental family members who we love and want to, you know, respect. We want to keep loving them. And, and in order to do that, we sort of need to, to, so it's, <laughs> to yeah, it's like have it, them know what we think. Anyone who things. finds us from this Avenue can know who we are. I'll give you the address. Come stop by. Phone number. You can have the landline number, but, sure. uh, but our, you know, the neighbors and the family, landline. we don't want them. Yeah. We still have a landline. <laughs> we don't want them to know about this kind of stuff. It's just, it's not for them. And then it feels like, I'm able to express myself better than I was before being worried that I was going to upset somebody. Now we have greenerpostures.com and it's like loaded with cool stuff. And I feel like I can make that whatever I want it to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's good. 
And uh, Tammy, you've done three. Have you did? Did you do all three of my workshops or did you do two? You did. I've done all three. Yeah. So beverages. I did ferment, fermenting foods, beverages. And then what was the third? Condiments. Did you do huh, the yeah. condiments? I did. Yeah, I've done all stuff. three. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Right. Great. And, and then I signed up for bone broth. So. You are my first person to sign up for the bone broth workshop. That's going to be October Sunday, October 16th at 2 p.m. 16th. Pacific. I'm yeah. telling you, everyone listening, that these, these fermentation classes have been awesome. And there's a lot of cool stuff with fermentation. But bone broth is where it's really freaking at for delicious food and healthy living. I, uh, uh, I, I ain't kidding. Like, I spent a long time on the book that I wrote for this when I did the this um, in-person last year. And uh, there's like 10, 10, I think I have 11 recipes and they're all like customizable to be done in the slow cooker or the instant pot or on the stove. And like you make your bone broth as your like foundation for all these other things that are really tasty. Yeah. And then not only that, but I've got it down to where, how do you make this part of your regular kitchen routine without it seeming like a big deal? And just like how you make this stuff and you freeze it and it's just there when you need it. And it's like, you can make big batches of it. It's, it's awesome. It was a game changer. Plus uh, it has to where, do with the season we're in, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to changing eating styles yeah. as we're, as we're moving into fall here, like I'm, I'm soup season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Soups and stews and uh, like broth, broth based things. You know, it's been, it's been an awesome summer and I, I love summer eating too, but there's something about, you know, I love the, uh, the in quotes, comfort food, cozy stuff. And yeah, uh, yeah really cozy food. <laughs> I, I like to be cold and then warm myself with stew. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I haven't felt that for a while. So I'm getting, we're I'm right, getting excited right for, there, for yeah. new food. Soups. One thing that I'm really good at, I, you know, yeah. like for holidays, for most holidays, other than Thanksgiving, usually I just set out to make like three or four different kinds of soups. And then we get out all of the mugs and um, it's just like a mug and soup fest. And it's just, you know, that's something you can keep on the stove all day long. You know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, dishes and, and things to clean. And I, I just found that it's a, a much nicer way to do holidays. And let's see, last year for Thanksgiving. So my brother and sister-in-law, they live in North Carolina. They have four kids. And so they usually come down for, for Thanksgiving. And my Thanksgivings are usually huge. I'm usually cooking for like 40 people. I mean, we have all the kids, friends that they've collected from high school still come to Thanksgiving. I have random, random people, um, who don't, aren't going away to, to visit family or always at my house for Thanksgiving. So it was always a big thing. Um, but this year after the Thanksgiving meal, like on Thursday, we had the big Thanksgiving meal. And then on Friday, my brother and I had a soup throwdown. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so we were given the same ingredients and then we each had to make a soup, um, with those same ingredients. And then all of the all of the family and friends that were over then got to judge, to judge it. And so it was all stuff that came out of my garden. Um, I think we had potatoes and sweet potatoes and, um, you know, you could use, you could use whatever kind of broth you wanted. Um, but that was a, that was a really fun, um, you know, tradition, I think that, that we started. So we're going to have to have, they're coming again for Thanksgiving. So I think we're going to have to have another soup throwdown and in the household for bragging rights. You said um, you're competitive. So did you win? 
I I received more votes than he did, um, including from his children. So <laughs> I, I, I I take that as as a win. There was no prize other than other than bragging rights, but his soup was was pretty legit too. It was really good. Yeah. Um, so I I also uh, enjoy soup season. So where do you source your bones? Um, you know, I, when we've been processing chicken, I've been saving the the feet. Um, and then we just ordered half a cow. So I did ask for the bones, um, from, from the half a cow, but when I've gone even to our local butcher shop and asked for bones, you know, they, they just don't ever have any. So where are you sourcing your bones? We've got some friends who are farmers that, that have just offered us, you know, Hey, we got too many bones here because apparently a lot of people around here don't want the bones. Yeah. We've gotten beef liver and heart and tongue from them as well. Yeah, Liver, heart tongue bones on on slaughter day fresh like still warm it was amazing yeah Um, yeah and that that was nice um then uh we also buy a half a cow and we ask for all the bones so we have that and that for beef broth will last me that's all we need for the year yeah and then chickens yes using our own chickens but basically anytime i buy chicken i just buy a whole bird so i make sure i get um, all the, all the car, the whole carcass. And then I throw stuff in the freezer if I don't have enough to make a batch then. And then I just pull stuff out of the freezer and dump it all in a pot when I'm ready to go. And, um, feet, um, I've had to buy some, some of the time, um, now that we're processing more, hopefully I won't have to anymore, mm-hmm. but, um, I have found them at whole foods. I found them at Winco, which is like a cheaper grocery store here. Any, anytime you can find a place that's got like, um, like a, a large Hispanic community or Asian community, they seem to have chicken feet and, um, yeah. The Hispanic store, the the Spanish food store, that's where I've been able to, to, you know, source some bones and be like neck and things like that, that you can't buy at the conventional grocery store. Yeah. It's always interesting that other cultures are a little bit closer connected to the traditional way of, of making things. And 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 I'm not wasting and I'm using the whole animal. That's that's what I mean really is, uh, you know, but doing the DIY, do it yourself, like aspect of, of, of food, like here, uh, soup is, is, uh, is from a can. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's the way I feel our culture sees it, uh, you Chicken know, and stars. And if, and if you want stew, that's also from a can Del Monte. might be from a slightly larger can, <laughs> you know, right. but, uh, but other, other cultures, like, that's why you have to go to ethnic food stores to, you know, like Asian, Asian stores and, and Hispanic stores. Like those are absolute, like those, yeah. so much more valuable to us personally than you know the the typical standard grocery but store but then you're also aware that healthy animals on a natural diet make healthier food for us right so you want to get the pastured chicken but you want to actually get a chicken that's been outside not just one that says pasture that you have no idea or do they have one foot of grass that they're out on or you know <laughs> it's it's hard so it's hard um i have taken i've i've read in some vietnamese cookbooks that they to get the impurities out of lower quality bones they boil them for just a minute before they make their broth so they'll like get a pot of boiling water and put their beef bones in there for like 5 minutes just until it starts to form a scum and then they take those out and then they make their broth with them so when i get stuff that i feel like is not as good of quality i i do that trick as well cuz it's ex- hard. it's expensive it's expensive to buy the good chicken but you i mean it seems worth it but it's super expensive 
No, I, I've gone, I, I have gone to all of, I wasn't there for the very first um, fermentation workshop that you did, but I think I've been on, you know, the, I was the first fermentation one that I did. I think Deborah was there. Oh yeah, that was so. Yeah, my second um, one. Was your second one? Yeah, um, but other than that, I've been on the the inaugural um, <laughs> yeah. workshop for each of the other ones that you've done. <laughs> I like it. So, so. Those are fun times. Yeah. So I'm glad you're doing that. Thank you. It, it's nice to be welcome in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it was something that was really hard for me to vision envision how it was going to work online because I'd done it in person and that felt good. But I knew there were more people as I started meeting people online that I wanted to share my information with. And I just, it's not, there's something about doing it in person, you know, where you can engage and you can ask questions and where I'm speaking to the people that I see instead of just speaking out like with a blog, you're speaking to anyone and with a, you know, YouTube channel. with a YouTube channel I'm speaking to. Yeah. I don't know who. But when I'm when I'm doing those workshops, I'm speaking to the people that I'm I'm you know you know your audience right, you know your audience you know you're making eye contact and you know them as well because they didn't just show up here you know they're they're people that we know that are involved in our lives so so yeah because if you sign up for the the workshops it's none of that is automated it's I I email with every single person that buys anything or signs up for anything or signs up for the mailing list so then I like try to get to know them enough to like kind of. I want to meet people where they are in a way where that they can understand what I'm talking about. Cause I'm not trying to teach you how to do something. I'm teaching you how I do it and to tell you why I figured it out this way. And then there's always like tidbits of information that I get from other people that make me, Oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a great idea. You know what I mean? And and, and it's like, I keep learning and then we all learn from each other. So I, I wasn't sure that I could make that happen online, but now that I've done it, you know, a handful of times, I feel like I, I, they've been really successful and boy, like everybody who's done once, almost everybody who's done one has done another one. And I feel like that that's a big compliment. If you come once, you're going to come feel twice. Like- but i also feel like it's it's good to like i like being able to interact with the other people that are in class too because while you're talking i mean we might be chatting about something and like you know also you know delivering punchlines uh to each other and so there's there's a connection between not just us as the student and you as the instructor but collectively everyone as as students And that's why the Telegram group is so great too, because then everybody can connect with each other afterwards that way and me as well. But then sharing what people have been doing afterwards has been really inspiring for all of us. And I'm I'm very flattered that you want to come at all because I feel like you're already this uh, Tammy Jacks of all trade, <laughs> you know, that you, 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 you know, so many like things it. and you're so good at it. Like you, you, the dehydrator and the, the things you're doing with the scraps from your processing and you're already doing canning and all these things, you know, and I, I just, I'm like, oh, she wants to come to my workshop. Let's <laughs> see how I do it. Weird. I learned so much from you and, and, you know, there's always, there's always a different way to skin a cat. And, you know, even, even like I'm doing things, but I don't have anyone to learn from. Literally, I learned how to can, you know, with my friend, Sarah Rose, my co-host for the Dirty Hands podcast, we were just in her kitchen and we're like, okay, like, so, and we're literally like looking at, you know, the book, like, what do we do next? And we're just figuring it out as we go, because we didn't, 
I didn't grow up in anyone's kitchen. That yeah. was, like my, my, yeah. my grandmother, um, like I can remember her like canning like strawberry preserves, but I was like three years old, you know, and, and it wasn't like I, like now with my grandkids, um, you know, when, when I go out to their house in Arkansas, um, you know, we'll, it'll be like, oh, you know, let's, let's do a project. And so like, I think over, like when I was out there in May, like we, we pickled and canned, um, pickles, cucumber pickles, we did carrots. Um, and you know, they got to participate, you know, they peeled the carrots, they chopped the cucumbers, they got to pick what they wanted to put into the jar, whether it was dill or, you know, coriander or whatever the case might be. And then they got to stuff the jar. They got to make them look pretty the way that they wanted them. And so they got to participate where, I mean, I was there when my grandmother was, you know, canning preserves, but I didn't get to participate in that. Um, and so, you know, I feel like, like these are, these are lost skills, like forgotten skills that, you know, I don't have anyone in my community that I can go over and hang out with um, and, and do canning because like, I don't know anybody who's doing that. So we just kind of made our own way and figured it out. Um, and it was only after the fact that, you know, we learned, oh, like, you know, there's a certain reason why you have to add this out. <laughs> um, and we haven't screwed anything up so far, but, you know, you've been doing it for a long time and I, I can't wait until you're able to offer some type of sourdough um, workshop. I'm, I'm looking forward to that day, even if I can't do it in your kitchen, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because I know I can tackle, yeah. I can tackle the sourdough. I can do it. <laughs> well, if you ever need a vacation to the Pacific Northwest, you can come and visit us and we'll do it together. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's so great. What you were doing last May with your, with your grandkids, um, having them participate and be a part of it. It was probably fun for them and you were creating memories that will last a lifetime for them while they're learning skills that may or may not last a lifetime, but even hopefully they will. But um, just having, having great memories like that, I have, you know, food preservation was, um, was a family affair when I was a kid. Uh, It was uh, you know, we would have, we would have too many beans in the kitchen and people would come over and to my grandparents' house, and we'd all be be cracking and pulling strings out of beans and throwing them in jars, you know, while while catching up. Uh, you know, I was a little young, so I was, you know, and I was there always, so I wasn't visiting. I was <laughs> I was just a fixture in the house. Uh, but a lot of people would come over during these times, and different, and you know, just different food all the time that people were always working and and talking, and it was the time that everybody would catch up, and there were are tons of memories for me during that time. And there are tons of memories. A lot, a lot of these people were older. So a lot of them have passed on by now, but they had memories at that time, just of, of, of being there and, you know, being, it was a social activity that was also really productive and it kept everyone sharp on these skills that were so important to them, but didn't really get passed on so much to their kids right. who are now and, in the, in the grandparents. And for range. me, I learned, I've, I have been doing a canning for a long time now. It's, you know, over 10 years and, and fermenting sure. for longer and bone broth yes. for even longer than that. Yeah. Um, but I did, I learned, like you said, Tammy, I, I got a book and I looked at it and I was scared I was going to poison people and <laughs> I didn't understand why it was working. And I was really proud when it was done. Um, 
I've messed up my first pickles. I didn't process them and I didn't know I was supposed to put them in the fridge because I just thought I could wing it because I was a good cook, but it's come a long <laughs> way since then. My grandma was from Italy and there's, she wasn't the stereotype of the person that would cook from scratch. She, she would make me a grilled cheese sandwich with white bread and the craft singles and uh, Betty Crocker margarine on it. And that was the only thing she would cook for me. So it was, um, my grandpa was a chef, her, my mom's stepdad. And so she just didn't cook anymore. She, she stopped at a point and didn't do that by the time I was around. So I'd never been around any kind of food preservation. I didn't even know that that would be a thing. Um, craft at uh, Philip Morris craft foods, they preserve the food for you and keep it on the shelf. And then you just buy it. Right. So um, relearning all these things that used to be like just a, a part of life, I think is really important, but then trying to find that community to come back to do that together, I think is really cool too. So you having your friend, like a real life friend there to do that with is great. I've recently made a new friend, Janet, who came, um, wanted to, to preserve food with me and we, we did apples together. And then she had a hookup of a fisherman that was um, coming into our local port with a bunch of tuna. And so we got a big tuna and we can't tuna, tuna I was together. telling my husband about the tuna yesterday um telling him about you about your tuna I was so I'm so excited I was so excited to hear about your tuna preservation your tuna canning so I was really proud of myself <laughs> I was super proud of myself and so it's like yeah, yeah. I'm like now I know if we ever you know have the opportunity to, or know anybody who fishes like we can help preserve that not you can smoke it you can dry it and that, you know, next up, I'm, I want to salt cure meat. Um, and that's what I'm looking into now. So bacon's going to be first, but yeah, I think I can salt cure meat. I think we could have a leg of prosciutto hanging in the, on the, um, from the ceiling in the kitchen for two years before we get to for, taste for it. For two days before I eat it. <laughs> it's not for ready two yet. years and then two days. <laughs> oh, and then two days and then it's gone. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like all those things, like we, we have the ability to learn now where we're at, you know, even if you don't have room for a big garden and you have access to the grocery store, you can learn food preservation. And so that's why I've, I've really felt like there's been a lot of people in this, like the conspiracy community and the homesteading community that really focus on, you know, get property and grow things and get chickens. But the then, law of abundance. Yeah. The, the thing that's missing is how to preserve food in this like really simple way. And, you know, canning is an industrial process. You can't do that without specific jars and lids. And while it's really useful, the, the ones that interest me most are things like salt curing and fermentation where you don't need any refrigeration and very limited ingredients. And you're working kind of with nature to preserve the food as it could be. And that also preserves a lot of nutrients too. So I, I just, I'm, I'm glad there's, there's um, more people talking about things like that and more opportunities out there. And Dirty Hands podcast is going to be inspiring for people when they find that. And I'm, I'm just really excited for, for all the things that you're doing, Tammy. And I'm really glad to know you. Yeah, me I'm too. I can't too. wait to listen to Dirty Hands. I I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's um I'm I'm very excited for it. Yeah, first episode they it's... talked about homemade dog food, and that's something yeah, we've you been were just telling me that today. We were we were just having a long discussion about homemade dog food today, 
And then she told me that that was your first episode and that we'd be talking to you later today. And it was like, ah, there we go. Yeah, we'll, it's because we'll synchro. Um, it's uh, her co-host that speaks about feeding her dogs that. And you you said your dog, your golden retriever smelled like Cheetos. And that, that's when yeah. you thought maybe to do something. I was like, was it Cheetos? Was it the cheesy corn, fried corn? Or was it Fritos? Was it just the fried corn smell? It's, it's so like I've been asked that question um and it's more like it, it's like Fritos but it also has the cheesy smell too because I think it's just he's, he's a golden retriever so he's got long fur so I think it's you know he just gets a little yeasty yeah you know, that's what I was thinking too all of that corn yeah and so yeah he smelled he smelled pretty cheesy our, um, our, not, our pup is as itchy she's super itchy now and she's got like a hot spot and and it's it's on the top of so top of her head of all places. Like she's not itching it. It's just so sad. Yeah, and she, how, like do you, how do you scratch the top of your head? If you're, if you're I, she a dog. like, but the, oh, I hate, she drives me crazy because she'll like well, wipe herself along the edge of our bed to like itch herself, you know. And I'm it, like, it, God, it all started with washing the blanket. She went under a barbed wire fence, and uh, she she was on a leash, and the eight year old. Um, <laughs> He pulled her back a little Cold too fast to be determined yeah. and uh, pulled her back a little fast and hard. And she just, she, she cut herself pretty good. And then it's like, it's, we've just been having, I mean, that was like just two like, weeks it's ago. It's not wanting now. to heal and it's not healing. And it's and I'm like, you know, worse. it's time. Like I know what healthy food is and I know that whatever I'm giving, even though we are giving her top of the line dry kibble, it's not, it's not the best stuff. Mm -hmm. So chicken feet and beef liver and bone broth and raw eggs and all that other stuff that I can think of. That's what needs to go into her bowl and she'll be a lot better. Yeah. She does eat a lot of raspberries. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, storing food, you know, in the event of supply chain issues. I mean, that's, I think that's where we're going to feel it first is in the chicken feed, you know, the pet feed. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's where my brain has been working. Like, how can I sustainably feed all of these animals if I can't get grain? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the things that my brain has been, been working on. Like, how, how do we do this? Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that I can do it because I have, you know, I have the acreage um, and, and ours is all, it's all cleared and it's pasture. So it doesn't take much for me to throw down a tarp and to, you know, come up with a new garden space where I can, um, raise fodder for the, the rabbits and the goats and the chickens. Um, but the, the pet food is a little, a little more, a little more tricky for the cats and the dog. Um, but yeah, that's Sarah Rose's, uh, you know, bailiwick is making her own dog food. So, um, the pot, the episode that releases this Sunday will be on survival skills, like what to do in the event that we get an EMP or, um, you know, a nuclear attack, like things that you can focus on in a, in a, a survival situation like that. And then the week after that will be the interview that I, we do with my son, who's um, homesteading and, you know, he's homesteading with the family, with the kids. And so he talks about how, um, he incorporates the kids into the things that they're doing. Like when he harvests, harvests deer, um, you know, the, the fact that the kids are there, they know where their food comes from. Um, they don't see it as a package on a store shelf. I, what was I watching? I was watching something the other day and they were literally, you know, it was like, you know, how Jay Leno used to go out into the street and would ask people random questions and get really crazy answers. They were asking people like, 
you know, uh, you know, where, if they know where eggs come from and like these 20 something people, like, I don't know if it's fake or real, but they didn't know where eggs came from. They literally said the grocery store. They didn't realize that they came from a chicken. (laughs) So it's hard to say. I think a lot of people are really stupid. (laughs) They just don't know. And I also think people can get back caught to, off guard. Back to idiocracy. Asked, well, yeah. I think people can also get caught off guard when asked a question. Like I heard someone talking about something similar to that the other day. And they were saying people could didn't know where the Great Wall of China was, you know, <laughs> and it's like, well, they could get they, stage fright if you've got a camera on them. And I feel like m- yeah, you, you're either picking really stupid people not to be able to answer that or or they're 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 stunned by the question and they don't know how, you know, like some people get, uh, you know, like stage fright for taking tests. Uh, they, they, they do poorly in school, even though they retain the information fine. But when they sit down to take the test, they, 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 they freeze up, they yeah. freeze up, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I hope, think, I hope it's that for humanity's sake. <laughs> I think if you ask enough people stupid questions over and over again, you're going to get some people who just can't answer them because they can't answer a question with a microphone in their face yeah, or, or yeah. whatever it is. And then if you put all those together, you got, you got great ev- evidence at how stupid everyone is. <laughs> totally. They go to college <laughs> campuses and that's all you have to do. They However, not knowing where an egg comes from, you know, I mean, uh, it, we call them chicken eggs, but we don't always and I go, uh, like what, like a Cadbury oh. egg. And uh, yeah, everyone knows what an egg looks like, but like, where, where is that produced from? You know, I mean, and then you take into consideration something I do feel confident in that doesn't have to do with people answering a question is uh, a lot of uh, people, at least who've lived most of their lives in a city have never picked and eaten any food. Yeah. Like they've never had the opportunity to reach to a tree and pull an apple or an orange where you're at, you know, like, um, we just had f- a family over a couple of weeks ago and their kids, the daughter was like 10 or 11. Yeah. They're they're and, and they're from like New Jersey. And she was like, we had them over to pick blackberries and she like, didn't know what to do. And then we're like, try one. And she was like, and she's looking at it and it's like, she they're- couldn't understand. She was just supposed to put it in her mouth. And I was like, have you had blackberry before? Well, blackberry stuff, but they've never just had blackberries. And all their kids were kind of the same way. Like everything outside was like, well, shouldn't we, I don't know. Do we wash it? Like what, this is just the step in a process till we eat it. Right. We don't just pick something and eat it. You know, uh, it was the same with raspberries, which are not what blackberries are wild. Okay. But then these are in our garden and in rows, but they still didn't want to eat them. Yeah. It was very weird. But then when we got inside and had them in in a bowl, they eat by a handful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got in trouble with my daughter-in-law because, um, you know, when, when my granddaughter comes over to the house, I mean, we're literally grazing in the garden, you know, and, and I have lots of edible flowers. And so like, I'll pick a blood butterfly pea flower and give it to her to eat because they're sweet. Um, you know, or we'll, we'll pick blueberries off of the blueberry bushes, um, or tomatoes off of the, you know, cherry tomatoes. And she eats them right out of the garden, but then, you know, she's two. So when she goes places with her mom, you know, she's picking leaves off or flowers off and just eating them. So, so I got in, I got in trouble for, for, um, <laughs> I think it's so good encouraging though. Because that's what we've got the almost two year old, and he's the same way. Like he goes outside, and he thinks it's just a buffet, and I'm like, it is yeah, exactly. And then we go other places. You just it's have to watch buffet, him. Yeah? You have to watch him more carefully. 
Well, so, we've kept you for more time than I was expecting, and I really enjoyed this. Yeah, as a lawyer, what do we owe you? What's your time worth up for an hour? Because <laughs> oh, I think we're going to have to try This was enjoyable. Oh, right. This is more fun. We don't have to pay her because it was fun. We were fun to talk to. Oh, that's and, great. That's great. And you you haven't committed any crimes, so. Oh, uh, so sure. We're, we're we'll go with that. I'm good Not today. That. Not today. Not that we know of. Not during the time I've been on camera with you. <laughs> right. Well, um, I'm really, really thankful to have met you and um super glad to have this conversation. Look forward to my invitation onto Dirty Hands podcast. And uh it will be soon. The biggest thing is is coordinating time with a co-host, both of us, you know, doing our, our own things. So um I just have to get time nailed down and 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 you're definitely on our list of people that we want to talk to about getting their hands dirty. I think it was episode two. I did hear you mention my name. So I was very, very <laughs> pleased to hear that. Talking talk about fermentation. Lanny might come on. So yeah. Exciting. Felt good about that. So yeah. Um so it's with one thing that's really funny, uh, and then I'll I'll stop talking, um, <laughs> is that that uh, we're the Dirty Hands podcast, but my co-host Sarah Rose, she does not like to get her hands dirty, so she's always wearing gloves while she's making her dog food or in the garden or wherever the case may be. So it's just one of those <laughs> tidbits of information that's kind of funny and ironic. <laughs> that's funny, but then it's like the the you know not just the literal way of getting your hands dirty, but the figurative way as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a metaphor for everything. <laughs> Thing. Yeah. You gotta just get your hands get, get dirty. In it. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> do it. Yes. Find Tammy on Instagram at the uh the Dirty Hands Podcast. Dirty Hands Podcast at Dirty Hands Podcast. Um the website is dirtyhandspodcast.com. Uh let's see what other where else are we? Um and telegram channel dirty hands podcast anywhere yeah, you would join find that telegram dirty people. Hands podcast. yeah i'll get in there <laughs> and then um basically yeah all the podcatchers yeah i'm listening to you on yeah. on the apple podcasts and just i searched dirty hands podcast and you popped right up excellent email email is dirty hands podcast at gmail.com so those Great. are the four main places that you can find us and then yeah we're on pretty much all of the the podcatchers uh spotify uh amazon music google podcast apple Wonderful. podcast and Stitcher, if you want to ha- hang out with tammy and me you could come to the bone broth workshop and we'll all be that's right together on zoom <laughs> yeah it'll be fun well thanks for the chat guys it was yeah fun. thank you yeah, so this much was excellent it's great all right we'll talk to you soon peace out all right take care bye-bye